Hello, welcome back to Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and we are finishing up our coverage of Thanos, the Infinity Relativity hardcover today, which means Brian is back. Hey, Brian. Yo, how you doing? Pretty good. What's new? Um, well, we're going finally going to finish up this big old Jim Starlin hardback epic thing. So that's that that will be that will be good. The hardcover monkey will be off our backs until the next one. Yes. Well, actually, the next thing we have is a miniseries. Oh, that's right, because we have the, the, the trilogy in between books two and three, as it were. Yeah, there's a four issue. It was a weekly miniseries that came out in between them. Right. The Infinity right, right. Entity. Yes. At least I'll be a lot easier to remember where we left off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It won't take us a year to do, like, one of them. Yeah, we'll record it first. Yes, that exactly. Re- that way it doesn't matter to people listening. It will just all come out. Hey, everyone loves it anyway. I know how so. I know? Know how I know? What? They're listening to us. And if they aren't, they aren't hearing this anyway. Yeah, so who cares? My logic is flawless. I'll agree with that. <laughs> All right. Well, in case you need a recap of what happened before or want to know what's going on here, hold on. We're going to drop some synopsis in on you right here. Maybe a promo, too. We'll see. Thanos, the Infinity Relativity, Part 5, by Jim Starlin and Andy Smith. For full credits and what happened in the first four parts, go listen to synopsis from last episode. Thanos is the apparent victor in his battle against Annihilus. Until Dr. Boltar has a teleportation portal open up behind him, and Annihilus is able to kick the Titan into it. His destination? Well, without one being set, he is trapped in the nowhere of teleportation limbo. Meanwhile, things are getting worse for the Guardians of the Galaxy. Gamora is injured and joins Star-Lord and Adam Warlock in needing to be carried. Worse, two of Annihilus' soldiers are able to grab Adam and take him away. Groot manages to clear them some room, until he is shot and explodes. Though Rocket is able to save a splinter so he can be regrown later. They are finally able to make it to a teleportation portal and Rocket, Star-Lord, and Gamora make it safely through. Drax and Pip are the only two left, but Pip informs the Destroyer that he is staying behind. He only has one real friend and won't desert him. He tells Drax to warn everyone in the Positive Matter universe that Annihilus is coming and that he will do anything he can to cause problems for the despot there. After promising to come back for him, Drax is gone. Pip manages to drop into the garbage chute, but not before he throws a couple of grenades at the portal, destroying it. Once safely in the garbage area, Pip's bravado fades as he realizes he has no idea what to do. Up above, Adam Warlock's unconscious body is fitted with a neural disruptor to keep him out, and Boltar has him placed in the Dynamo Chamber so they can tap into his power. However, not before Dr. Boltar does a bit of gloating, revealing to us and the unconscious warlock, that he is the true architect of these evil plans, not Annihilus. He is just using the Bug King, though to what end, we do not know yet. Using the power they are getting from Adam, they are able to create a planet-sized teleport and bring Annihilus' homeworld to the regular Marvel Universe. In the empty whiteness of teleportation limbo, Thanos realizes that his personal teleporter and its backup have been destroyed. He is trapped there and also comes to the conclusion that someone else besides Annihilus is behind it all. But none of that will matter if he cannot escape from this trap. Not seeing any other way out, he decides it is time to live up to his nickname, the Mad Titan, and using his own powers, blows off his own head. It was 1938. 
The country continues its slow recovery from the Great Depression, while war clouds loom throughout Asia and German aggression builds in Europe. Americans seek comfort and distraction. It was a time when the most popular form of entertainment was radio, but a new form had been growing steadily and was set to explode. It was to become the golden age of the American comic book. My name is Chris. And my name is Mike. Please join us as we explore comics in the golden age between 1938 and 1955. All genres will be discussed, from superheroes to crime, horror, science fiction, humor, and western. So join us for the Comics in the Golden Age podcast, available through iTunes and Stitcher, and visit us on Facebook or at comicsinthegoldenage.com. All right. So now you're caught up with us. Here we go. Back into it. Yes. So we're back here with Thanos standing over Annihilus because he just did his logo speak. He has ju- he has just unleashed his finishing move on uh, on on Annihilus, and Annihilus is now beaten. Yeah. Unfortunately, the more I, the more of a uh, hardcore pro wrestling fan I become, the more overlap I see between comic book fights and professional wrestling. And I'm just warning everybody who's listening to this episode and those to come ahead of time that the uh, the I guarantee you that my use of such lingo is only going to increase. And there's nothing I can do about that. So. Yeah, I can see that here because, I mean, Thanos is standing over Annihilus. He beat him. He's like, uh-huh. you're done. Mm-hmm. He's doing a bit of monologuing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's cutting a promo, as it yeah. were. Yeah. He's like, look. <laughs> he's like, negative zone will be cleansed of you. My memory will be cleansed of having served you because he's uh-huh. talking back about the Annihilation event. Yes. Awesome. Yes. And he's like, expect no mercy. And then like in a wrestling thing at the end when the guy's beaten, all of a sudden his friend comes out at the end and attacks the guy who won. Exactly. Exactly. We get a little bit of a, a swerve, but this is great because I, I do like in keeping with one of the themes we've been hitting so hard over the course of analyzing this hardcover and the one that came before is the uh, deepening and uh, increased com- complexifying. I'm making up words on the spot. It's great of Thanos's personality and Thanos's character over, uh, as they are as he is used in these stories. So, again, we've got him in the weird position of being a protagonist, an almost sympathetic protagonist, not even an anti-hero. Here is Thanos as the full-on hero of the story for all intents and purposes as we stand right here. And so, yeah, he's speechifying. He's doing a kind of a villain monologuing thing, but he's doing it to Annihilus. So when Annihilus says, you know, starts chirping back at him to do so again would save you titan and and thanos is like in case you have not yet noticed insect it is not i who is in need of salvation the fact that annihilus is not acting all that beaten again and so yeah thanos has the arrogance and the super villain sort of mojo to continue to assert his dominance as uh cesar milan would say um assert his dominance (laughs) over Annihilus at this particular moment, but for us, the reader, Annihilus's sass really does awaken the suspicion that, wait a minute, the quote-unquote good guys may not have won here yet, or whatever. So, 
it's an interesting Mike. it's an interestingly complex situation given the history of Thanos and the Starlinverse since 1972. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, it's kind of a similar thing, although Thanos is in a better position than Spider-Man was for the beginning of Craven's Last Hunt. Mm-hmm. When he, I mean, he's in the net, but he's like, I'll get out of this in a second. He's got a monologue like a ma- like a Looney Tune, and then I'll beat I'll beat him up. And he's like, mm-hmm. What's he doing with that gun? It's like a you know, complete swerve. The villain's not behaving the way he should be behaving. Yeah, yeah, no, and and you're right. That was one of the seminal seminal dark moments of the darkening of our of our comics, and I loved it. God bless uh, J.M.D. Mateus and Mike Zek for that one. Yeah, well, that's because it was well done, brilliantly done. But yeah, so Doctor Boltar opens up a teleportation warp, and Nihilus just kicks Thanos. He doesn't even bother getting up; he just kicks him right in the face. Yeah, that very like sort of end of Alien sort of moment here, you know? Yes. <laughs> Out the airlock, you bastard. Be no more. Be no more. Your very in existence, I find an intolerable affront. Oh, good stuff. That is, that is, I enjoy that stuff. And so Thanos is kicked into uh, white space. Where? Nothingness. Nothingness. It's like he's in the gutters. Now, now, like, but, but wait, because it's like he was in the negative zone and uh he oh the titan is trapped okay so boltar explains he's trapped within the teleportation limbo but it is it is strange because it's like you just think to yourself what's the negative zone of the negative zone yeah (laughs) but it makes me think like he's trapped in the gutters of the comic like i'm like where's scott mcleod yeah exactly exactly or almost like it actually got me thinking a little bit uh the phantom zone like he kicked him into the phantom he kicked him entirely into a superman comic like that's how that's how far out of it uh, Baltar took him. <laughs> Ooh, can we get a team up of Thanos, Mongol, and Darkseid? Wow, I believe I believe such a comic book, if they tried such a comic book, would like implode under its own like Kirby-ish. If there is a mathematical value like the Kirby constant that applies to comic book characters, I think the Kirby constant of such a uh, book would be far too high and the book would not be able like you could print the book but you wouldn't be able to pick up the book and take it out of the store it would turn into a morrison title yeah. <laughs> it would turn into his multiversity the yeah. only thing worse would be if like you had a book that featured superman supreme uh, majestic gladiator and hyperion right right and the century yeah. why not well, uh, unless it was written by Alan Moore. If it was Alan Moore, he might be able to keep it uh, just afloat, or at least like mid '90s Alan Moore, like you know, two thousand Alan Moore. Yeah, like like nineteen sixty three Alan Moore. Uh, like I'm just thinking that twenty nineteen Alan Moore. He's 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 gotten a little too uh, cynical to pull off such a feat. But but back in his yeah. back back in his is his sort of meta heyday. He could have he could have possibly pulled off. Such a such a um, uh, what did what did they call them like back in the Silver Age when they did the uh, an imaginary, imaginary story? story? He yeah. could pull off such an imaginary story. Anyway, yes. yeah. So now all that's left for them is to deal with the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and consider the fact that Star Lord's already hurt and Adam Warlock's unconscious. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not that hard to, hard to do for an entire army. Fight one, two, three, four, five people basically. And they have humanoid bugs, which apparently is new. I hadn't noticed until uh, until I read the dialogue. Like, I didn't look at this panel and go, oh, it's humanoid bugs. I was just like, oh, they're still fighting a, a lot of mooks. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. uh, uh, a lot, a lot of uh, disposable uh, uh, bad guy red shirts. But you're right; it's uh, they have changed their uh, their form. Like you said, it's got to be more of Boltar's handiwork, which makes me really assume that we're going to see something with Boltar in the last series because there's something going on with this guy. Oh, He's more absolutely. than just a flunky. Well, we're we're going to uh, for sure. We we are going to uh, realize that before this tale is ended. Just to point out, uh, I, I know um, even though it's the first time I'm mentioning it in this episode, I've mentioned it so many times in all the other episodes that I will still sound like a broken record. But it just I feel it is worth pointing out. Drax still doesn't sound like Drax because when uh, Gamora points out that uh, it sounds like Thanos brought the entire building down on top of us. Drax's response might have <laughs> it still doesn't sound like Drax. Yeah, it's like he know Drax has changed. And he's trying to change it, but it's not fully where the Drax is now. Yeah, this is this is a here-only Drax kind of a deal. Uh, you put that in the same category as, you know, Jim Shooter-written Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> Intr- wow, there's a callback. You know, we did some covering when I did the, uh, I mean, granted, it was a little while ago, it was like episode 84, but when mm-hmm. we did the uh, Mephisto versus the podcasters crossover, we did the Mephisto miniseries, and it's like, his Wolverine's not the Wolverine that's appearing in X-Men. <laughs> his Wolverine's the one that would just randomly try and kill a hero because they're standing next to him and you know they brushed against him the wrong way he he sort of reduced him to just the rage and nothing else exactly exactly so you sometimes gotta take these things over a grain of salt when you're you know reading these things if they're written by somebody who's not writing them normally even if it was the creator <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but oh yeah so this next page it goes right to what I was saying where the first thing Pip says here is he said the bu- humanoid bugs were more of Boltar's handiwork. Mm-hmm. Where did Nihilus find that guy? Yeah, no, and that's a that's an excellent question and an important bit of uh, pointing out to the reader. You should be wondering this question. But then, of course, he immediately goes for the misdirect because now we get to, you know, darkest days. Uh, you look over the these two um, pages and we lose. Gamora gets shot. She drops warlock who gets picked up by a couple of the humanoid bugs and then Groot gets rooted yeah blasted <laughs> yeah to pit to bits kind of like the end of near the end of aliens where like you know they keep getting knocked down every like couple minutes another person drops yeah exactly it's interesting because thanos was he went to fight Annihilus, his entire sort of thinking. Now, obviously, we're starting to get the sense that Boltar is is more than we realize. But at the time that Thanos uh, separated himself from the rest of the Guardians to fight Annihilus one-on-one, he was doing so under the belief that Annihilus was the authority, the power, the big bad that needed to be dealt with and everything else would be fine if he was dealt with and he did did so in order to draw annihilus off to by his own explicit admission protect warlock and gamora and so i'm trying to remember why was thanos so interested in protecting gamora oh because she's his daughter doi i i keep forgetting that bit that that, that gamora is his daughter yeah. Or he There's, views her as his daughter anyway. Yeah. There was that. And also, she was the one holding Warlock. So uh-huh, uh-huh. even she if was, it was just Warlock he wanted to protect, well, she's the one protecting him now. Right. So, exactly. Okay. You know, makes more sense. Make, also makes logical sense that way is that, well, the person I need to protect is unconscious and being held by this one. So right. I got to protect that one because they're protecting the one I'm trying to protect. 
So Rocket does reiterate for us that Thanos warned us Goldie had to be protected. So we are sort of, as we're watching everything go bad, we're also reinforcing exactly how we're, we're awful close to the end of this particular graphic novel and everything is going really, really, really badly for the good guys. Oh, yeah. It's Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're dropping like flies because now, like we said, Warlock's taken away, Gamora's down, so now Pete Quilt, so now Star Lord is down, and um, Gamora. Mm-hmm. And it's not like Pip's much of a fighter, so really it's just Groot, Rocket, and uh, Drax. Oh, mm-hmm. wait, never mind. <laughs> just Rocket and Drax. I find it interesting during this fight that Groot is basically doing his, uh, his best uh, Lady Deathstrike impression. Yeah, you know, just with like impaling just everybody on the on the on the it's like, geez. And and the splashes of red like it's funny because they look a little robotic the way Starlin draws them. But then when Groot impales them, it's like this big old splash of red. And it's like that's actually kind of gruesome. Yeah. Have this big piece of wood just chunk it shutting right through your chest. Yeah. 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 I mean, they look so alike that they kind of remind you of, like you said, robots or Mm -hmm. like a. any type of random flunkies that look alike and are easy to be beaten, just like the, the what are those called? The putties from the original Power Rangers. Okay, you know, yeah. You know, but but yet they're bleeding. It's like, oh, maybe there's something more to them. Yeah, and of course, uh, Pip with the, uh, reminding us that for all that he is a putative good guy, he's also an enormous dick because oh, yeah. his entire reaction here to Groot's uh, apparent demise is, think we got to make that you were Groot. <laughs> Like, dude, too soon. That's just what I was thinking. <laughs> but the and then his response when Rocket's like, got a viable splinter, because we know what that's for. And he's like, as a keepsake? <laughs> like, dude, such a jerk. He's such like, ah. well, maybe he's like, hey, you know, some, you know, some people keep keepsakes of their enemies, you know, little trophies. Maybe he keeps keepsakes of friends. You know, those are his trophies. Uh-huh. Friend dies, take a piece of them. Yes. I'm wearing a necklace. Of what? Of my friends. What's left of them? It's kind of dark, dude. (laughs) I'm going to go over here. Yes. (laughs) But uh, probably what Pip is thinking in that exact moment. I got a splinter as a keepsake. Ooh, you're creeping me out. You know, he's probably thinking. I'm out of here. Exactly. So they least, but thankfully, because they blasted Groot, they made a big hole in the wall. So they get Mm -hmm. out through there because that's useful. And they actually make it to the teleportation state, one of the teleportation stations. Yeah. Another great, uh, another great Pip moment. I just love when uh, when uh, Drax says, "Pip, get the wounded to safety." Pip's reaction is, "Which is where?" Yeah, <laughs> like, we are in using... their base. You keep using the horde. I don't think it means what you think it means. Oh, oh, real quick before we uh, proceed with the uh, everybody uh, limps into the teleportation station uh, scene. I just want to uh, uh, go back for a moment on a lot of these pages preceding, even going back into the some of the stuff that we covered in the last episode. Um, actually, no, really starting with the with the page we started with this episode. If you look at the at the page layouts, a number of them have these sort of uh, crooked, uneven panel. Yes, borders. they do. It's not something you notice when you're caught up in the rush of the action and the plot. But as on on a second or third reread, as you're sitting here and you're you've got your analysis brain on and you're kind of looking, it's easy to see that on an unconscious level, even when you were not so much noticing it, but just sort of like reading, paid turning pages super quick because you're so into the the action and the, and this very um 
fast-paced part of the story, it's easy to see that that sort of off-kilter panel uh, layout with feet and, well, butts, Adam Warlock's butt at one point, just sort of breaking the, the panel borders and the sides of the border panels being all crooked, it throws you off. It makes you realize just, I mean, it gives you a feeling of, of the chaos. It, it, like, enhances the feeling of chaos that's going on in these frantic moments. And I like that a lot. That's, that's some good stuff. Yeah, actually, you're right, because starting... I'm flipping back through. So the pa- panels... I mean, while sometimes he'll put like a panel in a panel or a lot of panels, you know, he does, you know, Star yeah. likes to experiment a bit, but they're still pretty much straight, uh, like the way they should be. You know, they're, you know, they're up and down, you know, they're, they, their ruler was used on these. Right, exactly. Whatever way. And then you go to the part now, where is it? Let's see. They teleport in. Yes. They yes. start to fight and the alarm goes off. Mm-hmm. And that's where Adam Warlock gets taken out. Uh-huh. And right there... The top of those panels now is different because now the top of the panels isn't a straight line. It's the alarm sound. Right, right. And then starting there and going forward, not right away, but like little by little, the panels start getting angular Mm -hmm. and tilted. Yep. Like I said, it's not every page, but the worse it seems to get, the more it's happening. Yeah. And so... so like, we get pages now where it's fully, like, every panel is tilted. Tilted. And uh, even now, at the point that we've reached where they're in the teleportation uh, station, y- the the panels are still just not quite regular. So I think that it's it's a great, subtle, but but effective sort of visual representation that might be working on the reader, but not even in a conscious way, of how... Like every no one's on firm footing here. Like no one, no one knows what they're doing. No one is feeling safe, stable, secure on firm ground. Nope. Yeah, none every, of them are in everything. Control. Every everything. It's like you know when you're running, but you don't feel, but but you're injured, and you're sort of like sort of falling to the side and and bouncing with your shoulder off the wall. It's like that sort of feeling given given a sort of narrative manifestation. So, I didn't even notice that. That's pretty cool. That is pretty friggin' awesome. Which is a, a sentiment we appear to be continually coming back to. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, and also a giant Jim Starlin love fest. Uh, well, <laughs> how can you do a Thanos and Warlock podcast and basically not be that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you could. I mean, you could be. Every writer carries with him a certain amount of BS, and you can absolutely be willing to call a writer out on his BS. But I think you're right to undertake, as you have, to undertake a podcasting project of this nature. You're absolutely right. By definition, it is going to continually return to some form of, well, this guy is freaking awesome. And here's why. Because if not, then why would you be doing it in the first place? Yeah, I mean, unless you're starting it with Annihilation. <laughs> where there's was, not going to be as much that you know Starlin doing not, the stuff not any really I mean while so much of the material was rooted in Starlin's work I don't think Starlin did any actual creative work on on anything Annihilation related did he well no but I'm just saying if you're starting with Annihilation as opposed to starting in the Silver Age like oh, I did correct correct Bron- you know, you bronze no yeah. silver you're right you started in the Silver Age because of because uh, of Fantastic the uh, Four. Fantastic Four stuff and Absolutely. before yeah yeah, because that was still when Kirby was still a marble. Exactly. Before issues, exactly. you know, before you know the him stuff. But and if you're starting there, then yeah, you're gonna be doing a lot of Starlin. You gotta either like Starlin or well, too bad. 
And once no. again, the podcast has achieved a good Kirby constant. Uh, exactly. <laughs> our Kirby constant is back where it should be. Okay, so. He's still mentioned. Yes. But yeah, so they get to the uh, teleportation thing. If anyone could figure out how to operate it. Yeah, a pretty big if at this point. Well, they have Rocket with them. He can. Yeah, he's pretty good at that stuff. Yeah. And Peter, Star-Lord has the best lines here. Never, ever go on a mission with anyone you've killed. Yeah, now I see why Warlock brought us along. We're the cannon fodder. <laughs> but that's good advice. Good advice. Yes. If you ever yeah. killed anybody and they come back, don't go on a mission with them. Right. What What are they going to be looking out for? An opportunity to repay the favor. Or at least they're not going to be as concerned. Exactly. Exactly. At, at the best. They're probably not going to be as concerned about your welfare. Now, there's a great little moment here, and actually a moment where Starlin does achieve a sort of personality synchronization. Like, because we've we've been talking a lot how how the way Starlin presents a lot of these characters. Obviously, not a character like Pip, who he who, who pretty much has never been around without him. Right. I think the only time I can think of is uh, Peter David's run of X Factor. Oh, oh, really? Pip was in that, huh? He I joined, be- sort of. Okay. As the, it's when it was a detective agency. Interesting. I got to read that. That is a, that, is, was that the, uh, is a run I need to, re- I've been meaning to read for a long time. I'm going to get around to that. So Not we're talking long. like around the 200s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pip was basically the receptionist. Oh, int- okay. So he's not in every issue, uh-huh. but he's there. And I think David pretty much kept him Pip. Okay. Okay. I anyway, think. My- my my point is is that so we've repeatedly noted how Starlin's uh, uh, treatment of many of these characters is significantly different from the way, say, Bendis or Duggan represents them in their Guardians of the Galaxy run, or the way uh, they were even the way they were uh, treated in Annihilation, things like that. So the moments where he does something exactly the way everyone else would have, I particularly uh, like it and think it's worth noting. So here, Rocket, who in just about every time we see him, be it in Captain Marvel, be it in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Rocket, he doesn't view other life, like other species, so to speak. He's basically a giant racist. He He hates everything that isn't like himself or another member of the Guardians of the Galaxy. So, like, the fact that he t- calls Pip Fleabag, he says, hold this Fleabag, like, basically treating Pip the way you, I guess you would expect a number of other uh, characters in the Marvel Universe to treat Rocket. I'm like, that's pretty fantastic. That's a that's a pretty right on spot on uh, uh, Rocket Raccoon moment. Boy, yeah, Rocket's a dick. Oh, absolutely. But he's also he's an incredibly like he's a speciesist, you know, like like the, with the with the flurkin. In, yeah. in in Captain Marvel. Yes. Like, <laughs> like he just he hates everything. He is a dick, but and he's a speciesist boot. Uh not to mention if there's one thing you can count on with Rocket, it's that he will uh, be a dick again. He has been a dick, he is a dick, he will be a dick again. <laughs> yes. And the uh, other thing about him, of course, is that he wants it, you know, he has a bit of a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. Because Pip's like, we have to need a safe destination everyone to escape to. Starlin's it is. Yeah, of course. That's, you say safe to Rocket, and he thinks bar. Yes. You have to wonder if he's watching American, you know, Earth TV. You think like one of his favorite shows would have been Cheers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's the norm of the Marvel Universe. Just sitting in the corner grousing and being a jerk. 
Rocket! What's Rocket. Gonna do, Rocket? Damn Flurkin. Damn Flurkin. Um, so I like this is a neat little moment as well as uh, as Peter sort of and 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 Gamora sort of limp off together into the teleportation portal um, and Gamora laments lost Adam. Peter just sort of says we'll get him back and it's like it, that's a nice moment too because on the one hand yeah he's 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 trying to keep Gamora cheered up at least cheered up enough to get her back to starlins and get her patched up and get her healed up but at the same time you also realize if there's one thing that we know about like peter quill about star lord international uh, uh legend or whatever he's pretty naive for an interstellar thief and outlaw he's kind of he's kind of um pollyannish in a lot of ways and it's it's only thanks to the rest of the guardians that he survived this long. And I think even he would admit that. So that's like a, a lovely little moment as well, where he's just, he just asserts pretty confidently. We'll get Adam back. And it's like, yeah. well, yeah, he's like that. He's also like, he's also a big child and, you know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Puts his head in the sand and ignores the other bad stuff. He doesn't want to. I mean, I'm re doing a read right now with stuff like before secret wars. Mm-hmm. And I was doing X-Men stuff, so it's kind of mixed in with the, the Bendis run of Guardians of the Galaxy because the Black Vortex crossover. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. So yes. I just finished the last few issues of Guardians where he's elected the king of his planet. Mm. And it's like, I don't know if you read that part, where he's like engaged now, to King Pride. And yeah, they're like, did you not mention it to us? He was like, and they're like, you kind of hoped it would just go away, didn't you? He's like, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I kind of did. Uh, that was a great, that was a great run of story. I mean, I liked Ben, I liked Bendis's run on X-Men and Guardians, but I thought that neither was his best work. Neither was up to the level of his best work. Um, but I definitely thought that the stretch where, especially where Kitty was uh, involved with them, I thought that was probably the strongest part, the strongest stretch of both series. Yeah, that was actually pretty decent. But yeah, it goes with that, too. That's the same kind of thing. You know, he's like, eh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Ant-Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto. So both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? Uh, <laughs> Doc Samson. Who's Star Fox. That's a video game. <laughs> The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And so now once all the Guardians have gone off, Pip surprises Drax and the rest of us as well by saying he's staying behind. Yeah. I mean, he knows it's way out of character. Yeah, he... he flat out lampshades that right yeah. here on the page but i mean i i could believe this reason yeah you know, i ain't yeah. never had many friends only one real pal can't see myself deserting him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to be fair even when we first see pip back in the 70s he could have escaped i mean at at he was you know he was trapped in that ship from the magus he could have escaped of all the other guys and went around carousing but he goes with adam mm-hmm. to help beat the magus so that is kind of in character, actually, for him. Mm-hmm. I no, mean, he's I, more than willing to let Adam do all the fighting. Mm-hmm. But, but if Adam it. can't, and, you know, if, if Adam's in trouble, he, he, he will step up. Pip is capable of stepping up, and that's interesting. I like Drax's reaction. Well, 
Who would have thought? <laughs> exactly. So so Pip is resolved to uh, to basically, as he says, he's going to see what he can do to gum up uh, the works on the neg neg negative zone end. Yeah. He's like, warn everybody what's coming. Um, right. So Drax vows to come back for him and go and, and, and goes. And Pip goes down the garbage chute and leaves behind some bombs and blows up some bugs. And uh, he's Hopefully so Carson far. Hopefully escape. Yeah. So, so, so far, uh, so for a couple of pages here, at least Pip is a pretty competent uh, adventurer hero type. I uh, gotta, gotta say. Until he ends up, now he's safe and he realizes, all right. Now I got to figure out a way to get past about a billion bugs and rescue Adam, rescue Adam maybe Thanos. Well, and he doesn't just blow up the bugs. It's, uh, his dialogue on the next page makes it clear that by leaving behind those uh, explosive, quote unquote, forget me nots, he actually blows up the teleportation station. Oh, it's true. Yeah, he covers the escape. Right. So so now he's he's sort of trapped Adam and him there. So I'm, I'm sh- well, Pip has teleportation ability. So as long as he can get away from Baltar's jamming effect, he should be able to get them out of there, I guess. Which at probably least that's should what he's thinking. Which probably should be his first part. But it's now caught up to him. He's like, maybe I or oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, come on, Pipster. Get real. We're so incredibly screwed. But I mean, that should be his first plan is, OK, I got to turn off, the, get get rid of this jamming so I can teleport because mm-hmm. that's his. That's his greatest advantage, the fact that he can teleport anywhere. Right. So now we return to Thanos, who is along the bottom of the page. Well, everything goes on, go, everything else goes on above, on the upper three quarters of the page. Like the bottom layer of each page is Thanos sort of in that, in that nowheresville that he's been teleported to by Baltar. He, he's like, well... Isn't this a fine pig in a poke? I've been outsmarted by a nihilist. How did that happen? He's actually like really, really, really annoyed at this. I love it. Yeah. And like I said, he's in. It's like he's literally in the bottom gutter of the page. Yep. Yep. And meanwhile, like I said, the top three quarters of each page is everything else going on. So we cut back to uh, Annihilus and Boltar and their uh, now captive. successful captive, Adam Warlock. And I just love there's this panel where Boltar has, um, if, if any if any of our listeners, they'll know what I'm talking about. Well, it seems like three quarters of the world watched Game of Thrones. So there's a fair chance that a number of the people listening to this uh, podcast yeah. will have seen Game of Thrones. It was somewhat popular. Uh, over the last two seasons of the show, um, Cersei spent a lot of time at the window of the Red Keep in King's Landing with just this look of unbelievable smugness on her face. And there's this panel on this page where Baltar is really, really doing his best imitation of that. Is it the never again will this one see the light of day? Correct. And I'm just yeah. thinking just like Cersei, it really made you just want to put it, put it, put a, 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 a gauntlet or a knife like right in the middle of the right between their eyes you know what he's I'm saying of, you, he's very punchable face very punchable very punchable look face very punchable expression so oh, I'm thinking to keep the flow going might be easier maybe we should do the top parts and then we'll jump back into, okay. you know, and then do the just do the Thanos part since that ends the series that's that's yeah I'm for that that works so let's so let's cover so we've got a little bit more stuff here with Baltar as he reveals his Master plan, because now Annihilus, like the completely 
completely manipulated patsy that he is, he thinks he's in command. So he magnanimously turns the prisoner over to Baltar, uh, so Baltar can do what he will with them. And that's when Baltar begins the very revealing, shocking and revealing villain monologue. Well, yeah, because the Niles is the kind of guy, if you are his lackey mm-hmm. and you're competent, which Baltar has been, uh-huh. and you're doing everything according to his gloriousness of Annihilus, right. then Niles is like, great, keep doing the stuff that you're supposed to be doing for me. Because Baltar doesn't have to ask me. He's like, um, the disruptor should keep him con- unconscious and manageable, transporting the subject to the dynamo chamber. Right. You know, it's like, you know, when Baltar first asked him, Baltar, the prize. He's yeah. like, secure to being processed, sire. He's like, mm-hmm. it's all being taken care of as you wish. Right, exactly. And so he's not, he knows Annihilus isn't going to be paying attention. Annihilus is really not the micromanaging. No, no. He's the he's the ego-tripping, you know, uh, conqueror type. He's the one that just says, do the thing. Mm-hmm. And all he wants you to do is do the thing. Exactly, exactly. Which, in effect, is not a bad managerial style. It's better, you know, a lot of times it's better than micromanaging. The downside, of course, is that it does leave your subjects or your employees, or whatever it is, free to... Uh, Pursue uh, other projects, as it were. Exactly. And if they're clever enough, they can actually use that against you. Is true. Is true. So a bunch of the humanoid bugs carry Warlock into the dynamo chamber, as it were. And sure. put him on this morgue bed looking thing. And yeah. Boltar is explaining. He actually, it's it, it's great how like nakedly like old school he is about it. He, he says... Um, at times like this, I usually allow myself a bit of gloating. It's like, um, but not this time, he says. Not this time. And he gloats. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because he is gloating, but he's not because he thinks, because Warlock is, is, it's a funny little bit of dramatic irony. Because Warlock is, in fact, unconscious. Boltar knows he can't hear him. So he's gloating, not gloating. It's like, he's gloating for our benefit, like, so to speak. But he's also like saying, yeah, I'm going to gloat, but you won't hear it. So it doesn't really count as gloating. Yeah. You will never know who the true architect of your destruction actually is. Yeah, you think it's a nihilist, don't you? I use the bug king to bring you down. Only I know this truth, which is really quite ironic. So I am forced to savor this triumph in a rather solitary and subdued manner. He says as he's like monologuing with the smug triumphant smirk on his face he's savoring the triumph in a solitary and subdued manner so i guess i think we can conclude that uh whatever qualities boltar may possess that have brought him to this uh moment of apparent triumph self-awareness does not appear to be one of them no (laughs) now the question is is boltar someone new is he boltar Mm -hmm. or is this actually someone else Ah, that I had for I had forgotten that that was a possibility that I think had occurred to me at one point when I was first reading this. But one of the drawbacks to uh, us podcasting in this uh, slightly disjointed manner, I think, is the uh, is that certain ideas do get a little uh, uh, lost. Yeah. As it were. But yes, that's all I'm wondering. If Is he going to be just a complete creation of Starlin or is he mm-hmm. going to be revealed to be something else? In disguise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, something else we know yes. already. Yeah. 
uh, like in other Marvel stories, that generally turns out to be, oh, I don't know, the Red Skull or Nightmare or, you know, there's all these uh, there's all these like recurring villains in the Marvel Universe for whom that is their M.O., you know? Yeah. So we will see. But for now, the sub, you know, he is trapped out of Morlock and they're going to begin tapping into his power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so now they're able to do it. And we get some lovely Starlin, Kirby Crackle, Starlin Universal imagery Inf- going on. Infinity symbol. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're using it. They're putting in a force field that keeps the around the entire planet. So it keeps the uh, atmosphere in place. And basically, they are teleporting the entire planet they are on. Forget that little teleportation gateway that the Guardians used. Yeah, and that Pip destroyed. They have opened up an entire planetary size one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now his entire planet the is moving into the gateway is, is opened. I really do, I really, and this is a callback, I think this was, me, re, not a callback, but I think this was referenced once before, but I just love engaging planetary propulsion units. We're just moving the whole damn planet. Why not? We are, we are mobile. That's one way to put it. Hey, when you're not concerned about, you know, the environment or the welfare of the subjects or anything like that, yeah, that's probably possible. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Or at least in comics it is. <laughs> and so uh, uh, and so we see the planet uh, emerge from the portal in the Posiverse uh, j- just coincidentally as the Silver Surfer is passing by. And he, he, he exclaims, by the stars. And that will be the cliffhanger ending for that part of this uh, story, which is kind of fun. If I, was, if I had been uh, reading this when it first came out and, and more stuff wasn't out, this would absolutely have me on the hook to be buying the next uh, oh, yeah, story. Oh, yes, definitely. But like I said, this also helps Pip out. Because now Pip's problem isn't just, okay, I don't have my teleportation ability. Mm-hmm. I'm outnumbered. And mm-hmm. I got to try and rescue Adam and Thanos, and we're trapped in a negative zone. Well, that last part is no longer the case, correct? Yes. Plus, now that they're in the positive universe, there's more chances of people attacking and therefore creating diversion for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just us, you know, it's not just Annihilus and me. Annihilus says, you know, if Annihilus is trapped in a negative zone, he has nothing else to do. But if he finds out Pip's still there, track him down. You know, even if he even if he wants to not attack yet, if someone else finds him there, they're going to attack. So Pip has a bit of a, has some help now here, whether he realize whether he realizes it or not. He, he probably hasn't yet, but you're right. He he is. That's the one sort of silver lining to all this is he is in a slightly more advantageous position at the end of this graphic novel than I think even he realizes. Yes. Well, since he's trapped in the garbage thing, we have to assume he has no clue. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, so back to Thanos now on the bottom of the pages. Yeah, now this first, um, we, we, we'll skip that first uh, page where because we already covered the first page. Exactly. Where he was, uh, uh, but now this next two-page spread is really nifty, I think, because Thanos is brilliant, obviously. I mean, this is meant to be part of his character, is that he's also, like, one of the, you know, more intelligent people in yes. the, the, the Marvel Universe. And so he manages, he's puzzling this through and he's getting real, real close to the truth. And I love that he's figuring this out. He says this, Annihilus didn't do this. Annihilus never met a problem that he uh, never encountered a problem he thought overwhelming force could not solve. So he realizes he's like sitting here saying, um, it's more likely I'm missing something. And he, these two and this whole little inner monologue is presented underneath the two pages where Boltar is 
monologuing and revealing himself to be the mastermind behind this whole plot. Exactly. Uh, so it mirrors so it. That's that's a little bit of 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 sort of uh, drama drama dramaturgy, I believe, would be the correct term like a sure. lovely little bit yeah like a lovely like struct structuring the way you're telling the story in such a way as to clarify and highlight multiple parts at the same time that's really nice stuff elegant yeah. writing there i love and it's, it it's true if you think about it because yeah like what was the annihilation going back to that then Annihilus just sending out wave after wave of army that was his plan mm-hmm. overwhelm them with force and numbers i don't care about my force and numbers so Let's just keep sending as many as we can until they're all dead. And instead, now he has like a plot and a plan and, you know, schemes. And it's like, you don't do this. Mm-hmm. Who's responsible here? Now, it's funny because he sit, he says, but that's a problem I'm going to have to worry about some other time. Because he's clearly thinking, right now I have to worry about getting out of here. Then you, on the next couple of pages, what he's he's contemplating, and I, I really like this too. Annihilus he, wasn't just fighting him, clawing at him, scrabbling at him willy-nilly. Annihilus's well-placed claw slashes have eliminated my armor's teleportation system and its redundancy. So that lets us know, first of all, that Thanos had, re- had, had system redundancy built into his armor, which is a clever little detail that not every writer would think to uh, include. And then on top of that, now we've got, we're figuring out that Annihilus, again, was acting with unnatural cleverness and purpose, which again, Thanos returns to the suspicion. This doesn't seem like a nihilist. This is something, something else is happening here. Yep. And I'm actually flipped back there. You can actually see where Nihilus goes, slices the one on the side of his arm on the side of him. Yeah. The hole in the side of his arm on his costume or outfit, whatever you want to call it. Uh-huh. Armor. Yeah. Armor costume. Yeah. I mean, it's not a costume, I guess that's just his clothes. Yes, exactly. His, his uniform perhaps. He's very much in the uh, Einstein mode. He has a closet full of the same outfit. Exactly, exactly. So um, and there's another nice bit here in, in Thanos' inner monologue here. His commune is useless here in this limbo. Not that there is anyone I have in mind to call for help. An existence yeah. such as mine, when threatened, does not prompt the heroic bellowing of a call to arms. He's basically saying, this is me we're talking about. Who would come to rescue me? Who who could I call that for help that would actually come to rescue me? Yeah, expect none to shout. Avengers assemble. Yeah, exactly, I love it, love it. Yeah, and the only person who would maybe consider that probably is also a captive. And who's that? Adam. Oh, Adam. Yes, good point. I was just with their new rapport, but he, yeah. Yeah. He's like, no one is getting me out of this situation but me. But me. He who is sometimes disrespectfully referred to as the Mad Titan. Say this. He 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 inner he inner monologues with Panache. Oh yeah. And he and it all flows together. It's, it's like, ironically enough, though, Mad is required re- presently what is required. Yeah, no sane options remain open to me. Uh, I like it by acting out of character current, but acting out of character currently appears to be quite in fashion. Um, that's a little meta there, uh, Starlin. <laughs> I don't know if it was meant that way, but it works that way. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so he's sitting here, he's sitting here and he's, there's absolutely nothing to be gained in postponing the inevitable. He's going to do something so crazy that even he wouldn't do it. And it apparently involves like, like blasting himself in the head. 
blasting his head off. Blasting his head off. He decapitated himself. And we end the graphic novel on this truly gruesome full-page panel of Thanos, a headless Thanos, the stump of his spine sticking out of his the t- out of the neck of his armor, great gobbets of goo, purple goo floating around him. Oh and God! It is it is it is a it is a shocking shocking image to leave us with, and then just say and to be continued. And that is the greatest way when you are in a continuing narrative situation and you end an installment of that ongoing narrative with something that has the, the reader slash viewer, whatever, going, wait, what? There? Yeah. No? Uh, ah! <laughs> There's nothing else to do. I either have to sit here forever or... Mm-hmm. Or kills himself. himself which wh- he has to have some idea in in what used to be his head like before he blew his head off there had to be some idea in there that he that's this wouldn't actually be like permanent final i don't know i have no idea i mean given that given that the remaining installments of this uh story will be published under the title thanos i can't imagine that it's just okay and thanos is dead so (laughs) he's done story's over Good luck, everyone else. Exactly, exactly. We'll we'll get we'll 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 muddle along without him for the rest of the story. I really highly, highly, highly doubt that that is the case. Yeah, but that's a hell of an ending. Yes, and the yes. build up to it, like as he starts thinking about, well, you know, nothing else sane remains, so I have to do something crazy, and he starts building up more and more, and then you get those last two full pages of just him with the hands glowing. Yeah. It's also really, really kind of nifty because of how much like he's signposting it. He's talking, acting out of character, contemplating a move that under uh, that he would never consider. Uh, no sane options. Nothing to be gained by postponing the inevitable. He's doing the unthinkable. Like so many, so many hammering, hammering, hammering on how not. Because th- let's face it, the one thing that Thanos like. That's the one thing Thanos never has never been the type to retreat, never been the type to like kill himself or or in any way, like, quote unquote, give up. So and so, you know, this isn't like, quote unquote, giving up. He's not just throwing in the towel. But at the same time, it's like the way they keep saying this is Thanos and he's about to do what is this thing he's about to do that he would that is so unThanos like that he would never, ever, ever think of it actually harming himself killing himself and it's true that really is the least thanos like thing imaginable and that he managed to find a way to work it in here credibly is pretty nifty yeah well i mean i guess it makes sense you know he's hoping he'll figure out some way to get back and probably not in that trap he he figures he'll, he'll figure out some way to get back without his head well not well might not be in that body Maybe I'm guessing I'm guessing it's going to be something involving that or something. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is, wow. Yeah, it's a pretty impressive ending. Yeah. And and I I, I like the first one, but I think this is a better one. Oh, absolutely. This is a better one. The first one was necessary. In hindsight, the first one was absolutely necessary. Hmm. But as as at the time that we did that first one, I remember thinking and and this thought remains valid as a standalone piece of story it wasn't very engaging or fulfilling it only really gains its 
value as as like the opening chapters of a larger epic storyline and it's turning into a hell of a larger epic storyline and i wouldn't be appreciating this part as much without that first part but yeah that first part on its own is a little bit of a slog yeah it's better as a book one than as a solo i mean it might have even yeah yeah i mean there's no way they could have realistically that they could have published this as one thing so i guess it's a sort of necessary evil but you know i do have to say it's kind of a a little bit of a weakness in the overall uh uh, presentation here uh i guess marvel kind of knew that going in and committed to it so the fact that that it probably wasn't the most well-received book that marvel's ever published on its own uh probably didn't phase them as much as it might have under different circumstances yeah but either way, so now we have this, so I'm looking forward to the next part, which is the oh, Infinity Entity too. miniseries. Okay. Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy. Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics. Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. It's a blend of classic sci-fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future. Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes. Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books. And Amazing Adventures, where we discuss action-packed adventure stories. Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. It's that time again. This time we are talking about feedback from episode 97, our Avengers Endgame episode with John Wilson and Sarah Sentry. And on Facebook, the post was liked and shared by Jesse Starcher. Andrew Graham, and David Briggs. On Twitter, it was liked and retweeted by Into the Weird, The Bat Pod, Mr. Podcast a Lot, Kaiser the Great, Jason Snick Venable, The Bitter Tweets of Sarah Von Century, Adriano, Tim Price, Ryan Daly, Doc Strange, and John Reads Comics and Podcasts About Them. Now, no one liked the post in Tumblr this time. Sad. Moving on. But speaking of Tumblr, we do have a few more people who are following our page on Tumblr who need to be thanked. So thank you to mwu69, Sam Criminal in Law 26, Prit 13, Werebear 53, and Big Ox 737. Okay, I need more names to say here, so let's add yours. Go to Facebook, type in Adam Warlock or Thanos, and our page pops right up. Twitter, we are at Adam Thanos Pod. Go to our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. You can leave a comment on Podbean on one of the episodes. Of course, there's always leaving an iTunes review, because that is very awesome. And finally, you can send us an email 
resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is radio on demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. All right, so that was Thanos the Infinity Relativity. Fantastic. Pretty I, crazy. Pretty crazy. It took us a while to get here, but I, I'm still enjoying the ride. Hope all you guys are enjoying the ride with us. Yes, and I the thing I'm most intrigued about is not even how he comes back. I want to see this Boltar thing. I really want to see how that plays out. Yeah, yeah. To see, we've got to have a few more surprises in store, and that's very likely one of them. But I do want to see how what his plan is. I mean, hey, maybe his plan is, well, either A, I'll figure out some way to come back, or B, what's the worst that happens? I get to hang out with death for a while. That's that is that is very true. That is very true. Uh, death death is it's an attractive option for him, and maybe that's one of the yeah. Well, we can only fathom the the mind of the Mad Titan insofar as we can, as we can. Something or like that yeah, death or <laughs> Dave, as he's also known. Dave. It's been reminded from like the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast and uh-huh. Secret Wars Two, the Beyonder killed Death. Oh. And then the guy that was hanging out with him, Dave, from, I think, uh-huh. Indiana, becomes death, the new death. Uh, interesting. So death, we actually know where this death started. The death that's been appearing since 85, 86 started out life as a human man named Dave. Hmm. Intriguing. Um, I do have to say. The um, just just by way of um, a, a, a little side note for a podcast being recorded in 2019 on the topic of a uh, graphic novel that was published in 2015. I have to say this has been an unexpectedly Jim Shooter heavy episode of Revelations. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's right. I mentioned him twice. <laughs> I didn't think about that. The specter of Jim Shooter haunts us all, and and he's even though he's still alive. Well, yeah. Although on that Dave thing, real quick, then I don't think that really affects things too much. I kind of view death like uh, the Sandman over at DC, mm-hmm. where yeah, one aspect of him might have been killed, but it's still like the Sandman that exists now still has the same more or less the, as the, as the as the uh, the Sandman before. You know, it's not like he's a brand new person. He might have a slightly different perspective, like the doctor, mm-hmm. but it's still the same person. Yeah, yeah. You know, Another the, jo- an- the Jody Whitaker doctor still is the same doctor that was David Tennant, that was Tom Baker, that was you know John Pertwee. Yeah. Another another um, interesting uh, uh, take as we start to wind down. We can uh, uh, as we start to wind down. Another interesting uh, take on that sort of concept, and I would actually uh, uh, recommend it to uh, listeners who might not have encountered it before. There was a series of novels by the uh, author Piers Anthony, well-known science fiction and fantasy author. Um, he did them back in the 80s and 90s. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the, the, the series, the, I believe the official title of the series was Incarnations of Immortality. And it was, yeah, yes. and it, and, it, and it turned out to be seven books when all was said and done. And the premise basically was that these immortal uh, embodiments of, of like in the first novel death in the second novel time in the third novel fate 
uh, fourth novel War, fifth novel Earth, um, that these immortal embodiments, that they were not beings, they were offices. Yep. That the, the holder of that office would periodically change due to circumstances that differed depending on the office. And each of the books concerns a ordinary human who finds themselves suddenly, who finds themselves becoming the holder of that office and the the challenges and stories that that, that come about as a result of that. Really good, pro- probably among my very favorite of Piers Anthony's works and one of my very favorite uh, uh, reading experiences of my uh, teenage and college years. So uh, highly recommended, really good stuff. So the first one is uh, called On a Pale Horse and it was uh, it concerns death. Yep, very appropriate for this. Yeah, just just I thought that that that's another manifestation of of that whole notion that of of like death, you know, of of like it's not just one immortal being; it is a, a a sort of slot that gets filled and then refilled occasionally by some by a different entity. Yeah, I remember those. Those I like those. Those were good. Yeah. All right, I think we got to the end of this. I think we might have. I mean, the headless, the headless Thanos that I cannot take my eyes off of would uh, seem to uh, kind of strongly indicate that. Yeah, we're at the end of this. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anything you want to talk about or promote or anything to people, um, or even just tell them where to find you online or whatever? Uh, I am findable nowhere online. Well, you can follow me at Kid Chiron. K-I-D-C-H-Y-R-O-N. I tweet rather a lot, mostly about uh, Japanese professional wrestling and music, uh, but I try to make it as entertaining as humanly possible. And um, uh, so, so I am a worthy Twitter follow if, uh, you, are, if, if you are inclined to get witty, uh, entertaining tweets on weird, random, nerdy subjects all the time. And uh, other than that, I don't really have anything else going on in the public sphere at this time. So nothing really to to, to promote or uh, talk up. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So just uh, follow me on Twitter and you'll uh, you'll you'll get an insight into the workings of my very strange mind. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Al, Al can attest to this. Yes. He, he, he often he often likes my tweets, even when I'm convinced he has no damn idea what the hell I'm talking about. I appreciate that, Al. But they're entertaining. Yes. And I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> Links in the show notes, people. <laughs> and then Brian will be back. I mean, we will be doing the Infinity Entity, but he'll probably be back first for uh, finishing up the uh, Bronze Age adventures of, of Adam and Thanos. Exactly. exactly. Schedules permitting. <laughs> we work it. We always do work it out. Yes. It takes some doing sometimes, but we do work it out. All right. Well, that's it then. Be back next time. Bye. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.
Hold on one second. The AC kicked on and it makes some noise. I'm gonna. I don't need it on right now. It's still pretty cool, so I'm gonna push it up a bit so it stops. All right. One second. Yep. Hey, buddy. All right, there we go. I already hear it going down. Good. Okay, cool. Yeah, it just makes a background noise in there, and it gets annoying. <laughs>